this. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome to... This is actually the fourth ever podcast that we've done, Shire. Started when? Fourth when? ever podcast. We started uh, January 5th, I think. So we're doing like one a week. Basically. Okay. So you are the number four guest. And as I've actually said to the last couple, and you know Chris Ricks. Right. But the last guy, I said to him, you're going to remember this moment when this is the biggest podcast in the world. The Edward Hutchinson podcast recording. And I'm on the ground floor. And you're on the floor. You're basically like one of the early startup investor, like, first employees. Do I get ownership stake in this? Well, if it's good enough, okay. we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but anyway, guys, welcome to our weekly, weekly, we're going to call it? I think we're going to call it the Edmund Hutchinson podcast. We're trying to do it weekly at the moment. Uh, but today we're actually joined by uh, a really interesting guy who actually, I think, has got a bit of a different take on probably normally the content that we put out there on our profiles. So we're joined today by Shia. Braverman, I should call you. Which you prefer, Braverman or Braverman? Well, my name is Braverman. Braverman. Okay, so then you should prefer, prefer that. that. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're joined today by Shia Braverman, uh, who is actually a commercial agent in our office. Um, now, obviously, a lot of people, I think, uh, most people anyway, are not people who are buying commercial real estate, and they obviously, if they're following our account and you're listening to our YouTube or our uh, iTunes or podcast right now, you don't hear us talk a huge amount about the, the kind of commercial side. And it is massively different. Absolutely. Yeah. It's two different worlds. Two different worlds. And actually, we kind of have different areas of our compass office right now. You've got the like commercial division area. A little nook in the back. Where yeah. we're locked um, away. Um, so actually, we thought we'd actually invite Shire on today just to get uh, a little bit of his take on commercial real estate, what people should be aware of, and actually just so we can ask you some questions about how you got into it and just kind of hopefully give some value back to our podcast listeners. I love it. I'm not sure who's interested in it, but yeah. love to... Well, your clients. <laughs> <laughs> love um, to answer what I can. Okay, awesome. Talk about this. So, Shai, like, just to give our listeners, because obviously most of you guys will know who I am, Edward Hutchinson, agent at Compass based on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. We try and do as much luxury residential property as we can. We sell a lot of property between that kind of $1 and $2 million level, and hopefully, uh, and we have done some bigger stuff, but in the future we won't. What's your story, Shire? Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, I don't know who I am. I'm trying to figure that part <laughs> out. But uh, who I'm, where I'm from? Born and raised in, in LA. Oh, um, LA native. LA native. It's a unicorn. It's rare to find those. It here. so is. Yeah. Everyone I speak to, and I'm like, oh, well, how did you get to LA? And they're like, what do you mean? Like, Everyone the transplants. Yeah. Everyone the transplants. So, so to be one of the few natives is is has not worked my benefit or detriment. Really, I figured I could maneuver that into business, but. Especially, you must have a network here in the most. So yeah, so 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 luckily, I, I I grew up with a lot of people who are in the real estate field, okay. and most successful people have a real estate portfolio. Yeah. So everybody that I've known, family, friends, growing up, all have real estate in their portfolio. So that has been helpful in me starting off. My first job was at property management. This was back in two thousand and seven at the commercial property management with a family friend. What kind of commercial? Like so I started off. So I after high school, I went to the went to Israel. Yeah, joined the Israeli army. Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. Uh, wasn't so the best. Well, I wasn't the best student in high school. <laughs> I was th- actually it keeps on down. I was thrown out of four high schools. Thrown out of four in, in LA. LA. In LA, I wasn't the best. Okay. I, I was, <laughs> I was, and then I went to Israel and sort of I grew up Orthodox. And in the Orthodox path, you go to Israel for a year of studying. Yeah. In something called yeshiva in yeah. Israel, and then you come back and work. And I went to yeshiva, and I got thrown out of yeshiva. And I was sort of struggling, trying to figure out what to do. And I was bored. Yeah. One day, they called my dad and said, "Hey, Dad, I'm joining the Israeli army." Isn't that so, something? There is something in the Israeli army where you, if you're born in Israel and you're living there, it's a mandatory draft. So everyone at 18, male or female, must join the army or do yeah. community service for two and a half years. If you're if you're Jewish, you can volunteer. And if you if you are Israeli but living outside of Israel, you get an option. You you can do community service, but if you ever come back to live, you gotta serve. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's sort of this mandatory draft. So I I was bored and doing nothing else. Sort of this punk kid, just screw authority and all that stuff. How and, old was this? How and this was eighteen. 18? This, was, this was seventeen, end of seventeen, yeah. and then eighteen, and then just on a whim. Uh, joined the army, and that was one of the best decisions I ever had, really? ever made. It was it, it just matured me immediately in terms of like structure in your life. And yeah, your absolutely, life. absolutely. It, it taught me a structure. It taught me how to achieve goals that I didn't think were achievable. Okay. It taught me how to be mature. I mean, I was eighteen years old, and we were in we were in war scenarios. Yeah. With 
I mean, I was I was the head sharpshooter for the special forces out there called the Golani Brigade. Head, what? The head sharpshooter. Wow, so you for, were trained as a sniper. I was trained as a sharpshooter, yeah. So there's there's snipers and there's sharpshooters. I was trained as a sharpshooter, and I was the lead sharpshooter. So what happens is, basically, when you go on a mission, yeah. the captain or the sergeant, whoever is, the, whoever is leading the mission, is the first one out there because they know where you're going, what yeah. the mission is. But it can't be the very first one. That's okay, too so dangerous. Shot first, yeah. So the, so I was in front of them. So, <laughs> so it was really sort of first to shoot, first to be shot at. So basically, that's a meat bag. I was the guinea say, pig. They sort of yeah. they, they sent me out there to see if I triggered any wires, and if I came back clean, then they went in after me. That is so, insane. How do you get your head around that when you're doing that? Like, I think at the time you don't young. think. You don't think. You sort of sort of. It's a cool thing. It was an honor yeah. to do it. Uh, you're cocky as hell. Just that. like nothing can hurt me. Nothing can stop me. After the fact, you're like, what the hell did I just do? Yeah. What just happened there? Why would they put me in that scenario? But. But you mature. I mean, sort of. You go out there and you just whatever I did, between fifteen and five thousand soldiers would have to mimic my move. If I heard a noise and I got down, everybody else behind me would have to get down right. and mimic that move. So you just I didn't have time to be immature. I didn't have time to sort of Think be stupid. I just yeah. had to mature. So I did that for two and a half years. Came back, and then I called a family friend and said, hey, "I want to get into real estate. What can you help me with?" and and Fred Leeds was his name. He's a yeah. big property owner in, in Los Angeles. He took pity on me. Yeah. And he gave me a job as an assistant property manager for a six-unit property in Pasadena. Wow. So I don't know if you know much about management and if anybody else watching knows about management, but there is not that much to do. Management yeah. in general is, is annoying, but there's not that much to do. You get that emergency phone call. There's a lead you you get, to go and like You get the toilet broke. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you have to rent at the units once in a while. Yeah. But to help manage a six-unit building, not a lot of work. Yeah, it's not the 10,000 <laughs> like, It's not the 10,000 yeah. development. Yeah. So uh, I slowly just grasped the ropes, learned the ropes, built, uh, worked my way up into the company, and became uh, the regional director of Southern California within two years. So wow. went from helping manage a six-unit to managing about 2,500 units. And how was that you did that? You made sure you were networking, kind of giving as much feedback to the important people in that corporate structure as possible? Or? Yeah, so it wasn't super corporate. It was yeah. more a, an intimate environment, and that's what I've always thrived in. Mm -hmm. uh, up until sort of this joining of Compass, yeah. I've always been, Partners Trust was a more intimate environment, and that's where, where I, I shine more. I'm, I'm not a cookie cutter. Yeah. I don't I don't follow the rules even even to today I still don't follow the rules so I like the freedom of these smaller places and it was just it was a commitment it was me saying this is what I want to do real estate is not a temporary thing it's my career it's my goal and that's what I need to learn so I just just sort of grasping everything and just try to learn as much as I can and I embrace the six unit and I embrace more embrace the twelve unit and then I just sort of kept going um, and then so was that a shift in your brain from like short term how do I make my money to go out and have a good time to I'm actually trying to build a career here I'm in this for like the marathon well especially in brokerage yeah. in, in the private management it's still a job yeah. right I mean, I mean eventually I left the company and we'll get into that later but one of the reasons was I sort of had topped out I, I was, wasn't making a lot of money but it was the President, the vice president, and then myself. And so you were like, where do I go from, where I go from there? Yeah. Right? So yeah. that was still a job. When I went into brokerage, it was a career shift. Yeah. Right? Last year I did, I did uh, about $8 million of business with one client who I met six years ago. Wow. And I kept a relationship with six years ago. Yeah. I did, I did a deal with them six years ago, did nothing in between. Wow. And then last year I did $8 million with them. Right? So... It was that career decision. It was saying, I need to stay in front of these people because yeah. it's not what can I make today, Yeah. but it's what am I going to make in six, ten years 100%, from now. Because actually we get a lot of that because obviously we put out a lot of content on Instagram and there's a lot of people who kind of, I think, aspire to be an agent because they see million dollar listing and Absolutely. they see the closings and how much, how big the commission checks are. And I feel there's a huge amount of people that get into real estate, get their license and six months in when they haven't done a transaction or they've done one lease of a... $600 a month like property and they're kind of thinking what's going on that patience and actually like continued uh, effort without necessarily feedback 
is so important in our industry. Absolutely. I, I, I We tell everyone that comes aboard that, especially in commercial, I don't know residential as well, and I'm yeah. not going to pretend I do, that you won't make any money for nine to 12 months. Yeah. Uh, I didn't make my first money my, when I joined brokerage, made the switch. I didn't make my first check till 11 months in, wow. and I made five grand 11 months in. So, you're so like, oh, there, was, there was so many times between that first where I was like, is this really, re-? I mean, I'm seeing people making money hand over fist and investing in brokerage, and I'm just trying to scramble, and it was just that long-term play. I was just saying, this is what I'm in, this is what I'm doing. These are people that I'm going to be dealing with for the next 20, 30 years, yeah. and just stick with it. Because actually, yeah, it is. It's so many people are like, oh my God, I'm going to give up and I'm going to go back and get my old job. And I feel like that is the teeth cutting of being in real estate in the US and especially in major cities. 100%. And as soon as you have that one foot in, one foot out, yeah. you won't make it. There, there, are, there are over 10,000 agents yeah. in Los Angeles, yeah. right? They're all competing. for the, If they knew, know there's a deal out there, they're, they're all going to fight for that deal. Yeah. So if you're, if you're waiting tables or, or which is nothing against that. I, I did that when I wasn't do well, but if you're, if you're, if you're not fully committed to it and yeah. you're not making this your life, somebody else will take it from you. Yeah. hundred percent. So you gotta, you gotta fully go all in. And then I always remember that stat, which where they kind of tell you as you're going through getting your license, which is almost like 90% of the actual business is done by 10% of the agents. Correct. There's a huge amount of people that have their license. And do it as a part-time little role or like to say they're an agent right. but actually don't ever really do anything. Right. Um, and I think it's more common in residential yeah, is yeah. a lot of people get the license to help a family member or a friend do a transaction. Yeah. Right? And they think it's an easy way to make a quick 30, 40,000. 40, yeah. Um, and then they get excited from that little taste but have no idea how to further their business. Yeah. And, and go from there and then they fall off yeah definitely so I think the commercial luckily it's more of a people know it's a commitment yeah. no one's really saying hey my uncle wants to sell this apartment building so let me quickly get my license first yeah um, so but we still have stragglers and, and incompetent people in commercial brokerage for sure but I think that uh, uh, it's not the people are knowing they're committing full time more yeah. in brokerage. because I suppose actually your day to day I think a lot of people look at our lives and they're like, oh, well, you go to go and look around beautiful mansions and you get to meet very rich and famous people and do whatever. Commercial is can be a lot more lucrative almost, but actually the actual day-to-day of it is a lot more cold call spreadsheets. Very know, mundane. It's what's the return. It's I think you have the most followers of anyone that I know, so I'm not meeting yeah. any, any rich, famous, uh, fun people. Um, we're, we're in the office all the time. Yeah. You know, we're, we're sitting in front of... A computer and running numbers, um, and that sort of analyzing properties and going back and forth. And I would say that a lot of our business is repeat people. Okay. Right. So we're not. So there are people that are trying to get their big sweat in in commercial brokerage, but we're dealing with the same people are transacting. Yeah. Okay. And that's you'll see the handful of, let's say, fifty to hundred people that are doing seventy percent of the transactions. In LA. And do you find that? Because actually we don't get to see that side of it as much because obviously you deal with a lot of investors and their business really is like finding the next project, what they're doing, looking at the markets, etc. Do you find that they're, when you're dealing with those people, they're real estate and real estate, all that's all they do? Or are there a lot of guys that are like, I put some of mine in real estate, I do some stocks and some shares and some trading? Or So everyone that has money yeah. has real estate. Yeah, that's right. Very, that's a very good point. I think we need to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> okay. uh, I'll take fifty percent of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's slogan there. We'll sell it. Just the <laughs> Shy Raverman, right yeah, there on the bottom there. Yeah, it triggered me that quote. Um, I think that here's here's the difference between one of the differences there's yeah. numbers between residential and commercial is residential is a milestone. You you have earned the right. You've worked hard. You've saved up money. You are now buying a house yeah. for yourself, for your family, for whoever it is, you have reached that milestone. Not everyone gets to achieve that. Yeah. Right? You, you, gotta, you gotta, especially in Los Angeles, where the threshold is getting higher and higher. Yeah. It is so hard to get that. If I show any person, in theory, a transact, a deal, and say, you can make this amount of money on a deal, you want to invest. Yeah. Everybody would wants to break into and wants to make money. You're not necessarily making money on the house. On the house, you're living in it. Yeah. You're enjoying 
the the I mean, hopefully the property increases in value, yeah. but you're enjoying the house itself. Whereas investment, everybody wants to make money. You want to get out there. So people are trying to get into it. The ones that are on that second level are the same investors yeah. that are just focused on that. Okay. The ones that are passive are one of two people. You're either super hungry. Yeah. So you're going to cut your teeth on these dirtier deals where... These bigger investors, there's not as much uh, return, for return for them, yeah. right? For you and I, I'll give an example, and I'm sort of going on a tangent here, but I'll, no, I'll, no. I'll give an example. We, I just sold a property on North Clark for $2.7 million, an eight-unit yeah. property. We bought it in December. Yeah. We're re- we relisted it. We hit the market for three point two. Did anything to it, or just we vacated five, ten, five of the of the eight units. Okay, and for okay. anyone out there that's listening, that is a big issue that we have actually in LA. A lot of the time is tenants' rights in terms of if they've been in a building, especially when it's rent controlled, to try and evict them. You need a reason to do it. Absolutely, yeah. you need a reason to do it, and so if there's not, a lot of value in doing that. A lot of value, and if not, people are really it hurts your bottom line because yeah. you can increase. It, there are other states that don't have rent control, and I don't know what listeners know about rent control as much, but. Anyone that rents know that that you're limited to about three to six percent of how much you can raise your rent per tenant per year. Yeah. So there are people that are in buildings for paying three hundred dollars for one bedroom, for two bedroom, right? So because landlords because they've been there since nineteen seventy four. So yeah. landlords okay. want to just go and capitalize. But my client will make after commissions, after everything, pay pay the tenants. He'll make three hundred thousand dollars. Okay. In about four months. Which is pretty good by most people's standards. I'll take three hundred thousand dollars in four months. You go, uh, no question about that. However, these bigger investors in the top one hundred, right? Yeah. Those that number, the amount of work that my client had to do for it. It's not worth their time. It's not worth their time. Okay. Right. So so they're transacting these larger deals with these much more higher returns, but there's some money to be made for the smaller guy. Yeah. Right there, and then there's so those are the two extremes. Yeah. And then there's the medium level, which is this passive return, yeah. which is more these triple net properties mm-hmm. or these fully rented, nothing to be done, just sort of park and play money. Yeah. It's literally right? like you're buying something that's already returning a certain amount. You're not really having to like lease them or anything like that. I had a client let in December that bought uh, a coffee bean yeah. on 3rd Street and Martel. Okay. okay. It was a coffee bean. It's a, it's a furniture store and then offices above. You bought it for $8 million, Yeah. right? There's nothing to be done. There's leases in place for the next six years, yeah. minimum. They maintenance all have options. Is maintenance is all good. It's all the tenants pay for the maintenance as well. So that's their triple net? That's triple net, correct. Yeah. So, and I don't know whether you want to triple net, but they pay, the tenants pay for taxes, insurance, and triple and maintenance of the property. So that's the property taxes as well included? That's probably correct. Wow. Correct. So he's making a healthy return on his money, yeah. and has to do no work. And then those leases are actually locked in for quite long periods of time as opposed to our standard residential leases that like, okay, I'm a year, maybe 18 months. Absolutely. So we just submitted an offer for the same client. We submitted an offer for a Burger King in Aurora, Illinois. I don't know where that is. Okay. So Uh, you've never been there. You've never seen it. Never been. I I will. We submit an offer. We will go to the property one time in escrow to make sure it exists. Okay. (laughs) And, and that's that's my entire as of right now, I just submitted an offer on a property that may or may not be there. So you know that's almost the complete opposite of my life. Yeah, you guys have to. See <laughs> yeah, I mean, I no one's moving to a house with a sight unseen. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, and and that's we. I've sold numerous properties where my clients have my clients have never gone to them. Wow. They don't. They don't care. They need to know it exists. They need to know that. A tenant in place is a secure tenant who will pay the rent. Yeah. Is a Burger King that is corporate guaranteed. Yeah. Meaning, even if this Burger King is the worst performing Burger King in the United States, then Burger King, the actual company, not the franchisee, they're still paying it. Wow. So, so your rent is there. So, as what happens if Burger King go bankrupt? So that's your that's your only downside. Where your your only risk is you got to weigh. So I, I you got to weigh what the company is, right? So I. Avoid right now auto repairs. I won't go do the AutoZone, right or Advanced Auto, uh, which is not. I'm just not sure where the market of auto repairs and auto usage is going. Whether it's going to stay in 
sort of this archaic cars or electric cars, whether Tesla, for example. Yeah. They 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 need to they need to fix their own cars with their own store locations. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you can't take that to an auto zone. And then I suppose there's a huge amount of people actually now not purchasing cars but leasing cars. But leasing cars, they're not doing any maintenance on that. Yeah. And then the maintenance is built in. You take it back to the actual plus with Uber yeah. now, cars sales have dropped as well. Yeah. So it's it's auto repairs is something that I avoid. Dollar stores for the most part, I think it was oversaturated. Okay. Um, I think that they're usually in these low income areas which need the dollar stores. Yeah. But they're also subject to the economy, right? So I think that you look at you look at the past recession, and with all the all the prices that dropped, Beverly Hills was pretty pretty firm. Pretty stable. Pretty stable, right? You go to these these outer areas. And you just see they got they got destroyed. Yeah. Right. So so I try to avoid stuff that have a such a specific targeted market. Yeah. Um. A, a Burger King we offered on Wendy's, Arby's. I love fast food. I love fast actually, food. Yeah. There's always a demand for it. There's always a demand for it. Everyone loves it. Yeah. Right. I I mean I saw Bill a picture of Bill Gates last week waiting in line for a McDonald's burger. Oh, well, and I love also the Warren Buffett. Stuff. Warren Buffett eats yeah. a McDonald's every day. Every morning. Every day. I mean, it means his wife to put the money in his cup holder. I love that. Like, I love that. I love that. And, and this is our richest, the richest man. Yeah. And then you go to to a job site and you see a guy swinging a hammer and then going to McDonald's. So here's a question for you, Charles. So say you're going to list one of these buildings. You're going to be the listing agent. And there's a 10-year lease in place with something like a Burger King as opposed to an auto store. Is your valuation on the listing price higher because of the fact that you have more of a guaranteed income because of the brand that's leasing it, even though it's the same amount of money yes. it's going to give you? It is. Yes, okay. so absolutely. So, so Burger King, this Burger King is, was a 5.75% cap going okay. up. Wow, that's good. They know what a cap rate is? Cap rate, yeah. Or maybe that's something... Sorry like to insult you guys, if you, no, no, if you no, do no. know. Most people don't know a cap rate. So maybe let's give them the basics of a cap rate. Super, super basic. Capitalization rate is a way to uh, evaluate your return on investment. So if you, so you put down 100000 So let's let... If you analyze a cap rate based on 100% down, yeah. right? You take the net operating income, which is... Your money after all building bills are paid. Yeah. Property taxes, insurance, maintenance. Yeah. You're left with that one number. You divide that by your purchase price. That's your return on investment or cap rate. So if you bought something, let's just use easy numbers, for $100,000. So $100,000. You made 5000 total net profit in the year. 5000 divided by 100000 So you got 5%. 5%. That's assuming that you put 100000 down. Yeah. It varies once you start getting a loan. Because obviously, yeah, you're putting, you're paying interest on the loan, so therefore exactly. you're putting your amount. Exactly. Of but assuming it's just assuming you're just looking at the hundred percent, to keep it simple, your cap rate on that deal will be five okay. percent. So you're looking at apartments in LA between four to five mm-hmm. percent cap. Uh, this, and that's down from what it's been in previous years. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we have we we really bottomed out in sort of the Middle of last year, okay. and we we've been actually building back up a little bit. Really? To this fire cap is actually a little bit higher than the normally last year. Uh, middle of last year, we were hitting low fours, high threes even, wow. and it just didn't make sense because the interest rate was higher than the cap. Yeah. We're losing money on deals. Well, I remember actually because London, I think, is actually a bit better still at the moment than it is in LA in terms of cap rates. But, but that's pretty rough out there. Yeah, but all of my investors, whenever I would look, and obviously we would be doing like buying a rental property, and it'd normally be a, a flat or an actual house. Yeah. Uh, they would always kind of say, "Look, if I can make five percent a year back on my money, i.e., in twenty years, I'm going to have right. what I've spent back. I've made the full amount. Plus, I've got this asset that's appreciated in value. Exactly." That's kind of where they were happy. Plus the tax depreciation every year, yeah. the tax write-off, and all that stuff. Exactly. So that's sort of what we go based off of. And back to back to your question, I would say an AutoZone would go for probably a mid six to high set to high six cap rate. Okay. Whereas we're at a five and three quarters cap rate for for this uh, Burger King. Okay. So there's definitely a difference there. But also, one last thing to consider is with these triple net properties. For the most part, and this is a generalization, is your what you're putting in 
price-wise, is what you're getting out. Okay. You don't see the jump in property value, right? Because it's just based off the lease return. Yeah. So you make a much higher return monthly. Yeah. But you buy a property in LA, the odds of it increasing value is exponentially higher than buying a triple net property out of state. Okay. And, and I know you have another question, so I just want to finish this quickly, is seem to be aware about triple net properties, the less lease term on the deal, the worse the deal is. Yeah, okay. So it's less security. Less security there. Yeah. So in theory, there's that sweet window, but beware of what you're going to make sure that you can replace the property in case they move out or whatever. Okay, I'm, I mean, I literally just, I could ask you like 100 questions. We could have a whole other podcast just on triple net properties. <laughs> and actually, if you guys listening right now, do you have any specific questions? Uh, would you be able to like provide an email that actually someone could send you an email? Absolutely. I, I just did this recently for a client uh, who's in the entertainment business who wanted to get himself and some of his clients into investment. And yeah. I sent a I'm pretty in-depth, maybe a eight-paragraph email breaking down the different types of terms that we just discussed, wow. like cap rate, GRM, which we'll get into, we, we don't get into, yeah. but that's in the email, and then the different types of investments. So I can forward that along to anybody that would. You need to put that up on LinkedIn as well. Okay. I just think right now. Right. I just think almost like putting that as an article on LinkedIn. Yeah. Would give so much value to so many people in that environment where people are really thinking like business and investment, uh, and actually the amount of times that we'll like walk over to you guys and your right. commercial little. Well, if you recall back in Partners Trust, I went around to different offices and taught a class. Yeah. On triple net properties, so this is sort of what I've been doing for, for ten years or so. For 10 years, this is sort of my bread and butter and, and glad to share information with anybody that's interested in more. Okay, so we'll, we'll go, give you guys uh, Shia's kind of contact information at the end. But if they wanted to drop you a quick email, what would it be? Shia at Braverman, C-R-E.com. And that's S-H-A-Y-A? S-H-A-Y-A at B-R-A-V-E-R-M-A-N-C-R-E.com. Also find me on Instagram yeah. at Shia Brave. Shia Brave, because he's a brave up? guy. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, let's get into some of the questions, actually, that I wanted to just get done today, because actually there's a huge amount. i just like to go into like you being a sniper and all of that, but <laughs> I think we need to try and think about our listeners right now. And well, we'll, we'll, we'll come back and do yeah. part two a different time. 100%. I'm excited for that already. Um, so obviously, we've kind of gone through the differences between commercial and residential, because I think a lot of people listening will have heard me talk about residential yeah. a lot. Um, were you ever tempted by that side of it, the residential side? No. Why not? That <laughs> <laughs> um, was a very good <laughs> I was ready to go. Yeah. I, was, I assumed you would ask something like that. I am not... Here's what... And this is me analyzing residential from the outside. Yeah. So I have not done any residential. I, I don't want to... I try to stay in my wheelhouse. When people sit... When I have clients that... When I have sold deals with, ask me to sell a house... I will refer it to a residential agent. To who, sir? To Hutchinson Johnson, <laughs> for sure, say, is who I refer to. Um, uh, and, and you all should use Hutchinson Johnson. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no question about that. Shire Braver's endorsement right here yeah. at uh, 2.30 on... Uh... <laughs> I love it. Um, but from, from the outside looking in, as we said before, I'm a numbers guy. Yeah. I am an analytical guy. I am, I'm a little bit of an asshole, can't and <laughs> I can't be a little bit of an asshole, and and I can't entertain people's emotions yeah. or whim. Yeah. And for me to send somebody a property and a quick sort of numbers make sense, numbers don't make sense, yes or no, yeah, is more up my alley then, as you said, you have to go to property 15 times and yeah. hold their hand and teach them how they can take a wall down and, and put a living wall over there and paint a different color and where the kids will grow up in the school. It, it sounds bad. I just don't care about that stuff. No, 100%. And actually, like, I talk about it quite a lot on our content is that like, I feel like our job is actually like half real estate agent half counselor. Absolutely. Where I'm a therapist holding someone's like, hand through a very stressful period of time. And there is a huge amount of emotion when it comes to that residential You're side. trying to paint a future for them. Yeah. I'm trying to make them a dollar. Yeah. So, so, so it's so, it, uh, I, 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 I admire what you guys do from the outside, 
uh, it's not something I could ever. I, w- I would get too frustrated. Yeah. I w- I, not when I enjoy it, no one would enjoy me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would get too frustrated. So looking at property, and I, I've heard horror, horror stories of people turning down residential deals because they didn't like the paint. Yeah. Of and paint it. Yeah. Like it's it's mind blowing. Oh, yeah, so. Don't even want to start this. We'll go down the whole staging yeah. side of like, oh wow, someone walks into a property. You can't imagine what they want to put in there. So you have to paint a picture of like someone else's face. You have to spend money to yeah. paint the picture. That's crazy to me. Yeah. No, so so to answer your question. So what about with that? So when did you realize you were a numbers guy? Was it at school when you were kind of thinking I enjoy maths and kind of spreadsheets or science or how, when were you kind of so yeah, in 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 my numerous schools, yeah, yeah. Uh, math and math, English and history were my subjects. Okay. Uh, hated science. I don't understand science. Yeah. Uh, doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's real. We can now Google it. Wikipedia is my science yeah. sort of my thing. But math, I think math makes sense. Math's universal. Yeah. Right. Math makes sense to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, numbers don't change based off where you are, what you are. You just need to readjust them on a location. You readjust what you're looking for as a return. Yeah. But the numbers don't change. And that's me I can wrap my head around. So I suppose actually that, that relates really well to actually you being an international person with your family from Israel originally living in LA. There's no language or needing to learn anything when numbers are there. Well, my family's from LA. I okay. volunteered. It was completely volunteer. I went to Israel on my own. So but where is there a history of any kind of hereditary coming from Israel to no. America at some stage? No, no. no. Uh, my, dad, uh, my dad's family has been in the States for numerous generations. Okay. My dad's mom was actually assistant attorney general to Jimmy Carter. Wow. Yeah, so That's he has really a little awesome. pedigree over there. Yeah. And then my dad went to Yale, and then I got thrown out of yeshiva. So that sort of been our... our and my, brother, up and up and up. And my <laughs> brother's in Princeton. Yeah. So I just sort of somehow snuck my way in the middle and just screwed everything up. Yeah. Um, and then my mom is, is, is from Toronto, and their family originally from Russia. So there's no, there was no real connection mm. to Israel other than the Jewish connection, which I had, and just just being lost in life at the time. Yeah. But but I think that it definitely helped to always have the the constant. Just know these yeah. will always be these numbers will always be there. They make sense to me. And I I I like I like transacting with people who can appreciate immediately my my use and my, my service my servitude. Okay. Yeah. So I think in residential there's usually that emotional roller coaster where they move in, they close the house, they love it. Yeah. Things go wrong. Then there's that up and down that you yeah, get. Massively. And and we have that in commercial, but it's really as long as they're paying the rent. Yeah. That up stays, and then hopefully you come back around. Sell again for them. I think when I first got into real estate in London, my office manager at the time when I first joined, one of the things I still remember him saying to me was we do something which is the second most stressful thing in people's lives. Number one is getting a divorce. Yeah. Number two is buying your own house. And so I completely appreciate that actually when someone sees fine, I'm going to get this much back. Right. The stress level isn't quite the same as, oh my God, what are my kids going to do in this situation? What happens if the roof falls in? What, you know? Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. And I, most of our clients, not all of them, but most of our clients uh, do this. For a living, yeah, right. So you you do other people that are trying to get the fee rent or are getting passive income. Yeah, but most of them, I'm not showing them their first property. Yeah, so they're right? experienced. They're experienced. They trust you. They know the risk. They trust me. They yeah. know the property type. So so every property is different. Yeah, but they're all the same. Yeah, right. It's the same Excel so it's, spreadsheet. It's, it's the same Excel thing. spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah, this one is brick, and that one's that one's uh, concrete stucco, but. At the end of the day, the number is still there, at least it's still the same. Okay, I like it. Um, actually, to be honest, like my next question was going to be actually something that we've kind of gone over, actually, because I was going to talk about how commercial is less location-based, and actually you've already given us a couple of stories about how you've never seen this property yeah. uh, in Illinois, and you're going over there. So yeah, I was actually going to say, would you agree with me? But I can't, have, can't imagine you're not going to agree I don't see how, how, how it can be, yeah. yeah. I mean, I sold, in, I sold in Hawaii. Does that mean you have to be licensed in those states as well? So we might, we might have to cut this part, but okay. in theory, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you should be licensed. Um, 
you are able to usually partner up with an agent. So you're almost out you're of, referring a client to them. You are overseeing the client. And correct. Communication, correct. But they're doing the contract signing and exactly. Like and that. and it's only an issue if if you screw screwed up. Yeah. Right. Hopefully you're good enough at it that you're not screwing up. And yeah. you, and the other thing, I've I've sold properties in Hawaii, Houston, Dallas, New York, North Carolina, South Carolina. I have one in Illinois. They're trying to buy right now. So I've sort of had. Anything outside of U.S. borders before? No. 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 Exactly. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, no. I don't know. That that that's. Awesome. I don't, I've never sold anything out of the U.S. border before, and and I don't think I will. No. I, I think it goes back to to me referring business to Hutchinson Johnson. Yeah. Is, I know what I'm good at. Yeah, you don't know those markets. You I don't, don't know the currencies, how taxes work in those. The places. laws, the contracts, yeah. and for me to my clients, I have clients that. Trust me fully. I had a client call me up, and my clients. I sometimes they just they I send them DocuSign and they sign it. Yeah. They don't look at it. They didn't read it. They don't read it. Yeah, right. Cool. They just sign it, and I build that trust. And for me to sort of risk that trust to make a couple of grand for myself and not give them the full service is not something that I'm willing to. Do. And I suppose actually you have to deal with the time differences in America, which presumably actually if you're doing an East Coast deal or something like that, it's yeah, I, I have insomnia. So so okay, insomnia, call it, call it. But for me, I mean, I don't go to bed until two a.m. until until the bars close. And what time do you um, get um, up? Uh, I usually wake up about six thirty. Uh, How you do know. you live on four and a half hours sleep? I feel like I'm gonna fall asleep one day and then just sleep for four months. And then yeah. So if you if, if you don't again. see me for like. The summer? Yeah. I'm not out partying. I'm just I'm sleeping somewhere. Sleeping. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so actually, let's get into a bit more of the, like, LA market. Okay. Where you are kind of doing most of your business. Uh, obviously, you kind of went through a little bit how we've seen cap rates kind of have gone down, and now they're kind of rising a little bit. Yep. What are you thinking? And obviously, I want to put it out there right now to everyone. Do not kind of take this information as this is this guy and blame him if it goes wrong because we are not profits and we cannot turn around and predict Don't blame me for anything. I know I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so don't trust me. <laughs> I am making this up as I go. <laughs> but what are you thinking? Is there any kind of uh, trends or anything in the market you've seen in the last couple of months that actually you are thinking is going to continue in the next couple of years? Are you thinking we're going to see what we've seen for the last few years? or? Yeah, so, so my bread and butter has not varied. Yeah. My bread and butter is apartments and retail from the one and a half to seven, eight month dollar range. Yeah. That's where I've made ninety percent of my money. Okay. Um ninety percent of my deals have been in that range. That's what I know. You see how we're being in the in this world, you see the trends of creative office, yeah. shared office is just exploded yeah i mean we work we work and and then these sort of tech companies yeah. making los angeles the new silicon valley silicon beach you look you i mean forget silicon silicon beach is, is such a small part yeah. look at 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 google leasing out west pavilion mm-hmm. right and and Facebook, downtown LA, downtown LA, and Hollywood. Yeah. I I think uh, there was an article recently on the Real Deal. There is over like three million square feet of space is occupied by the five main uh, 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 tech companies: companies: Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and might be one more. Um, That's insane. Over three million square feet of office retail in like Culver. Santa Monica and Hollywood, and that's, that's us. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So so and paying an insane amount of money to rent it. And paying an insane amount of money to rent it. Yeah. Um. So it's it's it that trend. Oh, Netflix is, a, is a, was the fifth one. Really. Um. So that tr- that's that's above my pedigree. Yeah. Right. I'm not. I would love to have. I mean, West Pavilion repurposed the whole office and now made it turn the mall into creative office. And yeah. Released out. I would love to have done that. CBS uh, Studios sold on Fairfax, and that's going to be stay as part of a studio, and this is going to be converted into creative office and apartment. This is something I dream about, yeah. right? I have not hit that seven hundred million dollar, billion dollar sales yet. Um, yet, <laughs> but uh, that's a trend that's continuing in my field. In my the co living, yeah, has taken off. As well as 
smaller offices repurposing. Yeah. Uh, sort of converting these cool spaces and making that into places to work. So that's where I've seen the trend for that. And you think probably over the next couple of years that just continues, maybe at not quite as an accelerated rate as we've seen, but actually... Yeah, everything in the beginning sort of gets this this burst. Yeah. And then it evens out. Look at the marijuana burst, right? I yeah. Mean, I mean, I I sold some properties somewhere else is in Long Beach. And three years ago, warehouses in Long Beach were trading for 150 bucks a square foot. Yeah. Two years ago, they trained for six fifty a square foot. That's insane. Now they train for about three hundred square foot. Wow! So it's kind of had that spike so now. It's coming it down. it jumped like crazy. It almost reminds me of like cryptocurrency. What happened with that? So luckily, I I made a little buck buck on the cryptocurrency, oh, but just like that yeah. was that that it was it was inching up and people were seeing it, and then there was influx of money. Yeah. Skyrocketed and then leveled back out. Yeah. And now we're sort of where it will be. So I feel like that's just a human trait, really, isn't it? It has human to beings, be. Human like, we look at each other and what everyone else is doing. And when it's a new, exciting I thing, might do a podcast next. Yeah. No, like, I'm, 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 sure. I'm looking around. I'm seeing what's happening yeah. here. I might steal it. I might do that next. You're like, this, who's this guy? He's not saying anything. It's valuable. All the good stuff's coming out of my mouth. This is completely... This is, this is gold right here. So this might be my, my new thing. But I, can, I, I think I can put people see... What's happening? You see the trends. Yeah. You see where the mo- people are making money, and obviously everybody wants to jump on board, and then eventually catches up and it, it bounces. And we think I actually think, and we see it in residential a lot as well. There's also the other side of that, which no one wants to be the first person. Right. No one wants to walk into the open house and kind of think, "Oh, well, this seems lovely, but hold on, if no one else is offered on it, right, is it actually as good as I think it is?" The first person that jumps in, and then you kind of have it's almost like wolves and sheep kind of situation. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and that definitely happens, and it's frustrating sometimes as a broker yeah. to try to to tell your client this is this is the next step, this is where it's going, yeah. and we don't have the funds to purchase properties ourselves yeah. at least at this point for the ones that we're talking about, but I'm trying to convince my clients this is where it's going, this is where the trend is going. You you got to dip your toe in. Yeah. You got to be the one to, they'll follow you if you, if you, if you're good enough, if you're good enough to, to start. Yeah. And what about that on that actually? Cause I was going to ask you about that. Are you, do you invest in property yourself because you know it and you have kind of the information, the skill set regularly, or is that something you see yourself doing in the future? Yeah. So luckily I've, I've been lucky enough to, uh, invest in a couple of triplexes yeah. in different parts of LA, as well as pull my commission back into deals. And that's something that I enjoy doing is deals that I believe in is I will I will invest with my client into the deals. I love that. So that's something that really, it, it shows both the client that I believe in this deal. Yeah, because I'm not just trying to shove you into a deal that's not going to make you money. Because yeah. I'm putting my, my money back into that. You know what I love? That, that analogy just pumped into my head, which is people have always asked me because I've gone skydiving and uh, bungee jumping. They're always like, oh my God, skydiving or bungee jumping, which is scary and which is worse. I'm always like, to be honest, actually skydiving is a lot less scary. Because the guy who's actually packed his own chute and he's got you attached to the front of him. He's in the work. He And he's in he's at risk as well. Yeah, oh yeah, he's so, as so well. He's yeah. a professional, <laughs> he's doing it himself and you trust him and you're like, so it's kind of a similar yeah. situation where you're actually like throwing your own... We're in this together. Yeah. We're in this together and, and I'm not going to risk my own money for something that I believe in. Yeah, 100%. So, so I try to make a habit out of it for everything. I do need to make a living. Yeah. I do need to make my commissions and, and, and pay, your bills. And pay my bills. Yeah. But I, I try to put about two, three deals a year is what I will try to invest back into it. And I love that because actually I see that just play out in that long-term marathon game of when you're 80 and you've got like little investments in all these projects across And they're minimal. It's 5%, 3%. Yeah. They're minimal investments. But in eighty, in in fifty years, all the now, they're gonna so, be they're gonna be worth a lot more money. It'll be a little worth a lot more money. Yeah, and it builds the 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 trust with the clients, the loyalty with the clients. Yeah, for future deals, even if, even if when they have a property that they want to sell that you were not associated with, yeah, they have that relationship of trust with you, then they will trust you to do what's right for them on other uh-huh. deals. So, do you see yourselves always being a commercial broker, kind of focusing on what you're focusing on now, but just scaling it and getting higher price points, etc. Or do you see yourself becoming your clients and investing eventually? Yeah, I, so I, I think I will always have my hand in brokerage. Yeah, I love the intricacies of deal making. Mm-hmm. I love how every deal is different. Yeah, every deal has nuances. Every deal has its headaches. Every deal I go home and and 
and drink myself to sleep. Okay, and every deal. If you sleep. If I sleep. <laughs> for those three hours, yeah. I, mean, I drink myself to sleep. But every deal is exciting. And, yeah. and I don't, even when, when, I'm, when I have these larger ownership stakes, I, I see myself always having, my, having a role in brokerage. Okay. I like that. Because I suppose, actually, I look at a lot of uh, the developers, the luxury high-end developers that we use, and their knowledge base of the market, they basically are agents. They just don't kind of have the time and they don't have like that ability. But their knowledge is kind of very in line with where ours is. Right. So actually, I kind of feel like being able to always keep your hand in it is massively valuable. Absolutely. Plus, I get early opportunities to see deals. Yeah, 100%. Before other people. Yeah. So when, when, when some people see deals, they've been shopped to numerous other people. I get this... This first look. Yeah. I get this sneak preview yeah. of deals. So that's too invaluable to pass up. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's maybe, uh, we're going to finish off in about five minutes. Okay. Actually, we're, we're kind of running up time here because I literally could sit here for I have so much to talk about. I'm sorry, guys. And I'm actually, I've got a little bit of training <laughs> to go do some compass stuff in a while. Uh, but I wanted to actually just think, right, so the listeners that we've talked in front of today and they're listening to the podcast right now, They've kind of heard about you. They've heard about the differences between the commercial best? and residential. I'm talking about the best. Done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have to look back through the videos and see if I've ever had a rant. Um, but uh, what I think we could really try and do is actually just give them some value in terms of if even if right now they're not ready to buy a property or to become an agent or whatever that is, um, I'd like to just give them the value if that is what they see themselves doing one day, even if it's the self-awareness that actually that's not for me. If you, if someone who's listening to this right now is thinking, actually, you know what, I want to start investing in real estate, what would be your best advice to kind of someone who's just starting out? So, hmm. a couple of issues. Apart from finding an incredible agent <laughs> called Shire Braverman, who they can use to represent them. And cut. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, a couple of the, uh, an issue that we've had with investors is. Obviously, when we had the recession and then building back up, yeah. you were seeing these tremendous returns yeah. on deals. And a lot of investors got in this mindset of... That's normal. That's normal. And I'm going to wait this out and go back to these prices. And we're never going to see these prices again. No matter what occurs with any future dip and any future correction, whatever yeah. we may want to call it, the prices that we saw in 2009, 2010 are inachievable again. Yeah. They, they won't happen. So, so you need to rethink your investment strategy and, and accept what the world we're in right now. There's money to be made. Yeah. My clients are making money. There's money out there waiting for somebody to come in and pick it up. So what I advise, for myself, when I got into brokerage, it was an easier transition because I had the property management background. Yeah. Okay. So I knew about real estate. Yeah. So the first thing to do is call up a broker, call up Ed, Call up David, call up myself, learn about the deal. Come down, talk to somebody for half an hour. Learn about different Ask types of properties. Ask all your questions. There's no rush. There yeah. will always be a deal out there to, to get. There will That's always good. be money to be made. Yeah. Right? So even if you see a property that you like, they say, well, this is, it's, it's not this or nothing. Yeah. There's something else around the corner. Yeah. Make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Make sure you have that cushion. Make sure that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket and then down in that, in that EMD, in the earnest money deposit. Make sure that you have the money for things happen. Safety net. You had a safety net. Roofs go bad. Plumbing. Oh, water heater bursts. I department really management. Eight. We get an earthquake. We get an earthquake. Right now it's raining outside and, yeah. and roofs are leaking. This is this is landlord's worst dreams when it rains yeah. for three days straight. They know they're getting all these leaking calls. Because those flat roofs. Because these flat really roofs are just designed. just yeah. sinking down. So build that up and know and trust who you're working with. Okay. Trust that if somebody's doing this, we are relationship-driven. Yeah. Our clients come back to us and buy more deals. We sell the deals for them, they make money, yeah. and they buy more with us. Yeah. We are not here to make that money tomorrow and then never talk to you again. Yeah. We are here to transact with you over and over and over again in the future. So learn the market, save some money for your down payment, don't spend all of that money because you need that safety net. And would you say kind of investing in an area that you know is advantageous to start with? So definitely, I think if you're going to do the more active investment yeah. of not a triple net, but where you want to be involved with the property, you got to be within an hour driving okay. of where you are. Yeah. So I have clients that sort of call me up and say, hey, I, so there's a apartment building 
in BFE in, in Bullet City, Arizona. Yeah. Right? And you can make 8% return on your money. I think we should... Let, let's make an offer. No. Is a reason, there's a reason why, why it's, it's 8% return yeah. in Bullet City, Arizona. It's because in three months, there's going to be nobody no living in your apartment. Yeah. So, so you want to be able to be close enough where there's an issue, you can go over there. Yeah. Right? You, ha- you can touch your property. It's exciting to walk by, to take friends and be like, I own this. this yeah. I own this. My, the coffee bean that my client bought, my client has meetings at the coffee bean once a week with his friends. Because he wants to go to He wants to say, this is my coffee rules. bean. Yeah. This is my... And he, he doesn't get a discount on coffee bean. It's coffee bean. Well, yeah. He doesn't get anything there. But he likes saying, pointing to the brick, saying, I own this. Yeah, that's so true. So you want to be somewhere that you can learn the market yeah. and to learn, you learn the area. So you learn where you are and then you can expand that work. Okay, I love it. So if you guys have any other questions about that, reach out to Shaya because actually um, I really think that that S-H-A-Y-A at Braverman. B-R-A-V-E-R-M-A-N-C-R-E dot com at Shia Brave. Shia Brave. What up? On Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, no Twitter, no Facebook. What the hell's going on? We cut the Facebook out Why? recently. About a month ago, we cut the Facebook out. Reason? I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I know I'm giving up my privacy for everything, yeah. but I feel like it's been a little scandal ridden as yeah. of late. So oh, well, I would say though, actually, maybe not Facebook necessarily because they're owned by the same company. We've got a prediction that I think Instagram is going to drop off significantly with organic content and eventually will do what Facebook has done, where it kind of ages up. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the timing on it, but what we're really trying to do right now is spread our content across LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, everywhere. Plus, if you guys have any ideas for like a new app that we should make, we're all ears about that. that. Yeah, I just don't want to be at the mercy of Instagram. I, I and now I completely agree with that, yeah. and 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 you sort of need to spread everywhere, especially with you creating original content. Yeah, definitely. For all this, I'm trying to disperse that. That's important. So we'll okay, so we're going to finish off Pushar with actually um, another just kind of what would you recommend? Obviously, a lot of people out there are very fortunate that they'll get to the point in their lives where they can invest in property. But there's probably a lot of people out there kind of hearing what you've just said and thinking that sounds like something actually I'd really enjoy doing. What? If someone out there is listening and they're thinking, oh, I'm finishing college or I'm leaving high school, I really want to actually get into, into commercial real estate and I want to be doing what Shia is doing and at the level that he's at in 10 years. Is there any kind of lessons that you've learned through your processes or anything where you would say, hey, do that, pay attention to that because sure. I understand you? In- um, so I've, learned, I've figured out that in commercial, I don't know residential, so I'm yeah. talking about commercial only, yeah. is you learn on the job. Okay. Right? Everything that I, when I studied for my real estate exam, but I didn't study for it. I forgot, <laughs> I forgot about the, I actually forgot about the real estate exam until the night before. And then I'm like, oh shit. And then I, I started studying and my computer crashed and I couldn't study for it. Somehow I passed it. Doesn't make sense. I think they, there was an issue with the computer. They somehow passed me. <laughs> I don't get it. But I've never once referenced what I've learned in that. In that in my everyday life. So do not now do what? the test and think right now I'm an expert in real estate. You are, you are not going to do the test and, and think you're an expert in real estate. You yeah. will learn that from the job, partner up with a senior, Yeah. find somebody who, who you admire their work ethic, yeah. you admire what they're doing, and partner up with them the first year or two, you'll be under their wing, you will go with them to meetings, you'll be making the calls. I still make cold calls myself. I'm still making 20, 30 cold calls a day. But junior agents, I started off making 100 cold calls a day. So 100, 100 outbound cold calls a day. 100 outbound cold calls a day. Yeah. You try to get 10% of them to not curse you and hang up. Yeah. Out of those 10%, you try to get another 10% to agree to either a follow-up or a meeting. Yeah. Out of that, maybe 10% will agree to a proposal. Yeah. Then maybe 10% will agree to sell. And then hopefully 50% of those actually sell. Yeah. So the numbers are skewered against you. But you just kind of persevere. You go at it. It's a commitment. It's a long-term job, yeah. long-term career for you. You partner up and you learn on the job. You pick it up. Invest in well if you can. Invest yourself. You learn as an owner what they are, what you're looking for, what, what kind of return you want, what small things increase property value. Yeah. Right. Hardwood floor, different windows. What's the smaller things, and then just slowly build your way up. So actually, so the mentor kind of ship is really important. Absolutely. We. I. My mentor. Funny enough, was at another company called IREA Investment Real Estate Associates. It was 2009, 2010. Was Morgan McMullen. 
who is who is now one of my co co-workers here we in the know. office yeah. who we're a big fan of and I have five deals list co-listed with him right now wow. um, we randomly came to get back together uh, to join Partners Trust three years ago out of being apart for five years so he was my senior I left after a year and a half went somewhere else for five years and then we rejoined back together but having somebody who sort of will teach you the ropes is super important. So I suppose I always think about it like it's all well and good going doing a course in commercial real estate, whatever it is, but you really don't see and learn as much of the day-to-day of what someone really is doing to be successful unless you get as close as you possibly can to that person and follow them around. If you call an owner and start quoting these professional quotes to them, they're going to laugh at your face. Because they've heard them 25,000 times. They've heard them 25,000 times. You've got to... You want to, it's us, it's, it's a personal relationship with them. Yeah. So it, the real estate is really secondary yeah. to what we're doing even. Do you ever, and this is maybe a thing, because I think from what you just said, if I was sitting there listening, I would be thinking, right, I've got to have pretty thick skin. You know, I'm putting out a hundred outbound phone calls. I've got to be used to people telling me to go away. Oh, yeah. And you've got to maybe not take that on board and go to bed. I mean, you don't sleep. So maybe that's <laughs> that's one of the main reasons why people, why a lot of agents fail is you get so much rejection. Yeah. And it's rejection, in, in residential you're sending a lot of letters, yeah. right? You don't see the rejection. No. You don't get a callback, yeah. right? But it's not in front of your face. Yeah. We are getting rejected on the daily basis. People are cursing us out because we're all calling the same people. Yeah. We all get a database of commercial owners in LA all kinds of same people. So you have that short 20 second window to differentiate yourself from everybody else that's calling. Yeah. But even if you do, even do, it's some, I mean, I mean, we had, I'll end with, with, with this little story. We had a, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, a real estate owner in LA. It's not, this might not be the best story to leave uh, on, <laughs> but uh, there's a real estate owner in LA who, who is known for just being a dick. Yeah. and we give all the junior agents, and I was subject to this myself, his phone number. <laughs> and we say, and I was told this when I first joined, and he's still around. I mean, we just did this to a junior agent four months ago, and I did this ten years ago myself. We say, call this guy, he wants to sell. And you call him, and he will he'll curse you out for a half hour straight. And I think, he, I think <laughs> he it's okay to tell you about this. I think he enjoys it. Yeah. Right? So like, he's aggressive, but he has to enjoy it, because he then calls you back for the next week. Cursing you out no and telling you to, to F your mom's vagina and, and screw a goat. I mean, he just goes into <laughs> graphic, graphic details. And okay, if you call on a block number, he won't answer because he wants to be able to call you back no and way. go at it. So it's, it's no. So we, we told, I was told, hey, this guy wants to sell. Is there a good way to get your beak wet? Give him a call. And you call him and he just goes off on you. And it's always better than that. And, and then from then on, That's really your it's always better than that. So actually, if you were standing there right now, Go and do a sales job if you're waiting to do your license or whatever, where you're going to be making calls. I'll give you, I'll give you this guy's number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Here's the number on the bottom oh, of the screen, you, just scrolling on the bottom of the screen. Call this number. <laughs> I love that. No, and actually, really, when I was in London, that is how we, we used to do our residential. Because how it is, is you have a listing agent, which is the broker, and you don't have a buyer's agent. Right. So as soon as we list a property... We literally want to contact every single person in our day space that we think could be interested in buying that property. So it is 100 outbound phone calls, and they track the outbound phone calls yeah. on their system. Yeah. Actually, I feel like that, even though I didn't enjoy it, and I wouldn't choose to do that now at the level that we're at in terms of the business that we're doing, cutting my teeth that way, I, I kind of uh, the value that it just taught me is just mental. It's I, I 1,000% agree with you. I, I, I joined brokerage from probably managed to brokerage, in 2009, 2010. Yeah. It was the worst time. My first year, I didn't make money for 11 months, my first year, I had 13 listings. Yeah. I won Rookie of the Year. I went to a trip, a paid trip to Vegas. I, I, destroy, I had 13 listings. None of them sold. It was the hardest time for anybody to do real estate. Nobody was buying. Nobody, it was just nobody was, knew what was happening. Yeah. And since then, it's all been easier. Yeah. That's so so that's how I started off. I broke my teeth. It was on just the worst brokerage ever. Yeah. And then, luckily, I mean, people that joined today, I, I tell them, this is not how brokerage is. Yeah. It's not going to always be this sort it's of fun and lovely. This fun and lovely.
Oh. Well, Shai, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I think we definitely need to do another one. Um, I'd actually also love to invite you one time to do our weekly live Q&A. It's a lot shorter, 15 minutes. Yeah, we have people (laughs) popping up questions and actually I think uh, based off this, I think there's just a huge amount of knowledge there that actually our community could actually benefit from. So I'm really happy. So guys, if you want to contact Shire, obviously he's based in the same office as us, 150 South Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Uh, The email again? S-H-A-Y-A, Shire at BravermanCRE.com. B-R-A-V-E-R-M-A-N-C-R-E.com. Instagram at Shia Brave, LinkedIn Shia Braverman. Boom. You get a hold of me. 100%. Find this guy, the best real estate agent I know, residential, kills it. Partner with him. Come on, guys. You know all my business I would refer would be to these guys. I was going to say, you haven't referred to You got to know. I would, I would refer the future would be with this guy. You guys got to use him. Come on. All right, you guys. I know what's up. So uh, I just want to say thank you to Shia. If you guys have any questions at all, feel free to email him. Drop us an email if you, for some reason, can't manage to find his contact information. We'll pass it on to him. Uh, but go and follow him on Instagram as well because I think after we've done this, I feel like you should be doing a weekly little segment just about commercial. It's a very eclectic Instagram. It's my personal and business mixed yeah, in. So you all see, I live a very exciting life. We'll see how you don't do nothing. We're going to do nothing. All right, guys. Well, anyway, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you have any questions about all ideas for what we should do in the future in terms of guests we should invite or different topics we should address, definitely reach out and let us know. Uh, but it's been a pleasure to have you here, Shia. And obviously, I think we've actually got some work to do. So Let's do it. Back to that. It's good to see you. All right, guys, thank you so much. Tune in again next week for the next Edward Hutchinson podcast. Uh, And again, wish you all well. Bye bye.